You can totally stand up here with me the whole time if you want. No, I don't want to cost on you. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Tell you what, let's pray for a moment before we get started. If we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we're so great, grateful for your love. We're grateful that you are here. And Father, thank you for your word that it endures, it is truth, it is life, it is power. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, that we might hear from you today and leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to hit the ground running if that's cool with you guys today. Does that sound good? What I want to aim to do is like, just really feel that we need to keep some time open at the end to spend a bit of time in prayer and worship. There's been a whole lot going on in our church family, not just in our church family, everywhere. Let's be real. So let's spend some time praying about that today. But we are going to be staying in the Old Testament. We're just, we just finished the book of Daniel last week. How exciting is this? Why not stay in the Old Testament? So we're going to go to Judges, and we're going to be talking about a familiar story about a man who struggled with his identity. I wonder if any of us struggle with our identity at all. See, next week we're going to have our services dedicated the entire time to worship and prayer. It's called a Heart to Heart Sunday. And what Heart to Heart is going to be themed on next week is identity. So we figured, why not go after it this week? Kind of get a head start and get us ushered into what God wants to do next week. So this man who struggled with his identity, good old Gideon, right? There was doubt, there was unbelief, there was a whole lot of fear, there was disappointment, there's all these things tied to his identity. And he carried around this kind of label that was a bit of defeat. In the same way, like so many of us unknowingly start to carry these labels and identities upon ourselves. Like it could be from... Words may be spoken over us or a tragedy in our lives. It could be something as even simple as like some uh, hobby or interest that we have, groups that we're associated with. Maybe it's our workplace, our culture, whatever it is. Like there are all these things that we kind of pull upon ourselves and we kind of start to carry as our identity. And along that, with that, excuse me, come some thoughts and mindsets that are coupled with these identities as well. So what we're going to do today is we want to confront these face to face and believe that God's going to speak to us. God's going to build us up and he's going to empower and equip you today. Does that sound good? Yes. Are you all awake? Yes. Everyone's awake. Okay. Daylight savings, Daylight savings right? <laughs> Praise God for coffee. See, so often when we start to carry around these identities, they can kind of get in the way of us becoming who God has called us to become. Because I think that's what we all want. We all desire that, right? We all desire to live this calling and to kind of be successful in life, to be you know, pr productive in life. And we all feel called, but a lot of us, we're still trying to figure that out and navigate what is this calling about? like we've said on so many occasions, really believe that God's calling for your life is more about who you are than what you do. So I'm going to give you a little bit of 
background. Now, with Gideon, obviously, like some of you may know the story already, he kind of had some doubt and whatnot. And, but there was a specific point that Gideon reached in his life where he actually started to become who God wanted him to become. After all the things that went on, and see, God's desire for you and I is kind of the same thing. It's for us to be faith-filled believers that become who he wants us to. But what it does is it allows us to overcome our doubts, our fears, and to truly step into obedience and faithfulness. We could kind of coin a, just a one-line thing of where we're going to go with Gideon today is we're going to go from fear to faith, all in the span of like 20, 30 minutes. Now, a little bit more context of what's going on in the story where we're going to take off. The children of Israel have been oppressed by the Midianites for seven years. Seven years. And they're having a tough go. They are not catching a break at all. Like, they are not able to do anything. Anytime they try and harvest, the Midianites come and take everything. They just wipe them out. They can't get anywhere with this. But the thing is, like, what got them into this whole jam to begin with was that they weren't really obedient when God told them something. And so even though they're lacking in obedience, they cried out. God heard them. He sends a prophet. It's actually a nameless prophet. Poor guy, right? That's literally all he's known as. We just know him as, like, this nameless prophet that God sent. But what I want to do is I'm going to take off in Scripture where this prophet begins to speak, if I can. And we're going to go in Judges chapter 6 and verses 8 through 10. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your, all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God raises up this prophet. He hears them. He raises up the prophet, and he answers them. He responds, and he says, I did all this for you. I brought you up out of Egypt. I delivered you, but then you still worshiped these other gods. See, the thing that God was addressing is God didn't want to just bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God, God wanted to bring Egypt out of the Israelites. And it's the same thing that we run into. In our own stories, God delivers us in so many ways, but what God is doing is like, hold on, you're still carrying some of that baggage. I want to deliver you from that as well. I want that out of you so I can work with you and through you. Amen? Amen. We ain't even getting started yet. This is going to be good. <laughs> Come on. You got to love the Bible. My goodness. So let's get started. Verses 11 through 16. A whopping six verses. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Not Oprah. I know she's been around a long time, right? But like, not that long. That belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. 
But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors, ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. A lot packed into six verses. A whole lot going in there. And then we kind of sped through it, but let's think about this. I'm a bit of a visual person, so visualize this with me. This angel shows up, kicking back underneath an oak tree, watching Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. To some of us, we're like, yeah, wine press, threshing wheat, not so familiar with. Okay, let me help you understand a little more. Now, a wine press is something, obviously you're going to press grapes and you're going to stomp on grapes, but what they typically were in, in ancient biblical times was there were these holes dug out. Usually they had like one kind of semi-shallow area where the grapes would first start and then the juices would run down into something much deeper and then they would also stomp in there. So this is something that was dug into the ground. Picture just a big hole in the ground. So you're not going to see anything from outside of it until you actually walk up and go into it. A threshing floor where wheat is actually threshed. So what it is is when you're breaking up the grain and uh, you know you get the inside of the grain outside of the the outside. It's called chaff, like the skin of it. Now what you actually did? Threshing floors were on high places. They're typically on the top of hills, just in the wide open. So it's like usually this big circle. And it was made a circle because people would usually walk around or they would have an animal that they'd kind of tow this threshing slab behind and break up the wheat. So when you break up the wheat, all of the stuff just blows away off the hill, right? But Gideon is inside of a wine press, which wouldn't be that big, and he's doing this in the wine press. He's afraid of being caught, so he's hiding. So this angel of the Lord sees him there, right? you got to imagine, God like had to have a sense of humor, right? He's sitting there, like, look at this guy. I wish I had my iPhone on me. He'd like be Insta-story and Gideon. Like, have you seen this dude threshing wheat in a wine press? What is he doing? And then he comes up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I was telling Henry the other day, I was like, I could just picture him saying this to Gideon. He's like, the Lord is with you, mighty Warrior, how hard would it have been to keep a straight face? Mighty warrior, while you are hiding in this pit, threshing wheat so you're not caught. Mighty warrior. I bet Gideon, even hearing him say this, would, I mean, first and foremost, he'd hear this and he'd probably be like, you might have missed it. There's another wine press like three spots down. That guy might be in there. No mighty warrior in here. I don't really know who you're talking about. Or even then he'd hear this and hear this mighty warrior and he could even think it was a jab to him. Like, 
man, are you making fun of me? We just met. And here you are calling me a mighty warrior because I'm threshing wheat in this little pit? I just try and think about, like, what's all going around in this moment? And the thing is, Gideon was doing this inside this wine press because the Midianites would not see him. The Midianites did not know where Gideon was. But God knew. There's times that we walk through life and we feel so distant from God. We feel like God is nowhere to be seen. He's not hearing our prayers, nor is he answering anything. But he's actually right there, just like he was with Gideon, sitting there right outside, watching, there for him, planning for his future already, there for him, always present. But there we go with the same thing. Like we get in that mindset, oh God, where, where are you? Where have you been? But church, you realize there's moments that we're in our mundane and we're just doing the day to day and we encounter God in our mundane. We could encounter God while we're at work or while we're on muni, while we're just doing the menial tasks throughout our day. God wants to encounter us throughout our days. So needless to say, getting back to Gideon, he would have had a hard time believing all of this. He hears this and he's like, okay, you call me mighty warrior, but then you tell me I'm going to deliver the people of Israel? Like, come on. The Midianites are like, what, 130-odd thousand you know, soldiers and we have 30,000 on a good day? Doesn't really add up, Right? I feel like we find ourselves in the same situation. And that's what really inspired me for this weekend was that I think so often we hear God's word, but we're like, ah, yeah, I know that. I've heard it before. We're like, we're singing good, good father. And I could sing it and I get the words kind of, but then when I really think about it, I'm like, ah, it sounds good. And people seem to be passionate about it, but I don't understand. Maybe like I have never encountered God or experienced God for myself as a good father. So we struggle with this stuff. What I want to do is I want to point out to us, there's three areas that Gideon struggled with, with God. And I believe that there are three areas that we struggle with, with God as well, when he speaks over us and he calls us to something. If you're taking notes, first off, It's with God's presence. Gideon was saying, like, where can I find proof, God, that you're here to be found in all of this? These past seven years, you've been gone. You haven't been here for us. Look what we're going through. In the same way, we cry out to God, God, where are you? Are you hearing my prayers? God, where are you? I need this. I've been asking for this for a long time, God. How long do I have to wait? Where are you? If you're really here, where is the sign of your presence? Show me something that you're even around. God's presence. The next area that he struggled with was that it was with God's performance. Seeing that you are God and you're mighty and you're supposed to be good, where's the answers to prayer? Where's all the good things? Where's everything that you're supposed to be doing? How come I'm not experiencing it either? How come our people are still struggling? 
How come it's been over 200 years since we crossed through the Jordan River and we hear these great stories, but I haven't seen anything for years, God? Constantly we bring this up to God and we kind of judge him based on his performance with our experience. And we're like, God, where are you at? Why haven't you done this? I want this, God. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to bless me. Why don't I have this? Right? His presence, his performance, and final one is his perspective. God calls him a uh, mighty warrior. God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us righteous, holy, victors. But we hear that at times and we're like, just like Gideon, you sure about that? Mighty warrior? Don't you know the family I come from? Don't you see my circumstance? Don't you see what's going on right now, God? Your perspective is a little out of whack. In that same way, with those three areas, we constantly wrestle with God when he's calling us to live a life of more. Like we've been declaring over 2018 to you know, a year of yes and amen over God's plans and his promises for us and who we are and who God is. But then when we step into that yes and amen and things get a little tough, we start to think, well, perspective-wise, God, maybe it works for Craig or maybe it works for Anne-Marie or some of the people from church, but like me, I just attend church. Come on. How's this going to work for me? How's it all going to work out? It's interesting because Scripture says in this conversation, it initially um, describes the messenger as the angel of the Lord, and then a couple of verses later, it actually changes it from angel of the Lord to the Lord. And there's a whole lot of study behind that, but we're not even going to go into that right now. But it's just, it's interesting because we see all of a sudden Gideon's kind of replies starting to shift a little bit. But he still sees, he's like, wait, 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 there's still doubt. And I'm going to kind of get in this blame game with you because I've heard these stories for a long time and my parents have been preaching to me about this for a long time. So I have fuel. The way he responds so quickly, doesn't it make you think, maybe even in that wine press that Gideon was actually thinking about this stuff already? Threshing that wheat and thinking, where have you been? God of Israel, Yahweh, I'm hiding in a wine press trying to feed my family. Where have you been? I could just see it. And he has this like massive chip on his shoulder. But see, he didn't doubt God's existence. He just doubted how God operated. You know, I think that the same goes for us. At one time or another, we as believers, we... You know, in Christians, we, we believe the miracles of the Bible. We don't doubt them at all. But we actually doubt that those same miracles can happen for us, especially when we're in need of them. So Gideon was familiar with God. He actually says, the Lord is with us. So he's associating himself with the children of God, the people of Israel. So he's identifying himself with them. But he forgets. He kind of forgot the backstory of why this all happened to begin with. And I kind of think we do the same thing with God. 
we tend to forget. Maybe we've forgotten the decisions that we've made. Maybe that's what got us into these instances. Maybe we have forgotten the massive miracle that we just experienced a week ago before another circumstance came up. Maybe we've forgotten that God has been faithful time and time and time again. But this time, God, this might be the time you fail me. Maybe we've forgotten, church. Thinking in this portion of the conversation with the two of them, you could clearly see that up until this point, Gideon had definitely heard of God. But that's the extent of it. He just heard of God. But from this moment forward, he actually comes to know God. I believe that we all hit like this crossroads. We come to this crossroads in life where the same could be for us. We've heard of God. We sing about him. We might read scripture. Might have been to church before. But we just know. It's like a head knowledge. But we come to this place where we have this opportunity to take that head knowledge a bit deeper and encounter the living God. To actually experience the embrace of a loving father, even if we've never felt one. To experience a God who's for us, not against us, as we spoke about. See, since he had only heard of God, he had not yet known him. Again, he was judging God based on his emotion and his experience. The irony, though, further down in chapter 6, we find out that even Gideon's own family was praying to false gods. His dad had an Asherah pole up by their home. This is a pole that was to Asherah, the goddess is like the goddess of the sea. Even his family was praying to false gods, and he had the gall still to say to God, well, where are you at? What have you been doing? It's almost like, have you not seen your home? Have you not realized how far you guys have come? And God is calling him back. It's actually a beautiful picture. It's almost like the prodigal son, God calling him back. God calling us back. So God tells him, go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? This is right after Gideon poses a question. He's like, hold on, hold on, God. Like, how's this going to happen? How's this going down? God doesn't answer him at all. You ever have moments like that? Asking for an answer? Praying and praying and praying and crying out and fasting and doing everything else and waiting for an answer and God doesn't even provide an answer? It's almost like he poses another question to us. It's almost as if he's saying, no, no, no. Your focus is completely off. Simply says, am I not sending you? Now go. And of course, pardon me, God, but like how? I'm, you know, my family's the weakest in Manasseh. We're the smallest. Have you seen us? Like, how are we going to do this? And our, you know, I'm not exactly trained in military combat or anything like that. So how are you going to use me? How are you going to use me, God? It almost sounds like I probably stole that prayer out of some of your lives, right? In my own. But God, how are you going to use me? 
I don't have the training. I don't have the time. It's hard. How are you going to use me? And it's because actually Gideon says that I'm weak and I'm the weakest in my, you know, in this area that God is like, perfect. That's exactly why I want to use you. That's exactly it. See, Gideon just didn't have doubts about God, but he had doubts about himself. But God does not just see you in your circumstance. He sees who he created and who he's intended you to be. We tend to focus in on what we're not, what we don't have. Every reason why we shouldn't be doing this. Every reason why God shouldn't be faithful and shouldn't be moving through us. But in this very moment, we see that God spoke to Gideon, not as he was in the moment, but who he was to become in the future. I want some of you to get that. That's what God is speaking to you today, some of you. He's not speaking to you where you're at. He's speaking to you and calling you by name who you are to become in the future. I love how Paul put it in the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 4, 17b. It says, The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This is God. I'm going to say that again because I think some of you missed that. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. That's who God is. That's who God is. The God that we're singing to today, the God that we're going to be praying to shortly, that's the God that we're praying to. The God who speaks things into being as though they were. When he looks at you and he says, you are righteous, you are holy, you are my child. He speaks into you who you are through his eyes, not who you are through circumstances' eyes. But that's what we battle with. That's what we struggle with. But see, once we convince that we are actually, we hit this point of being insufficient, that's when we're able to actually move out of the way and let God come into play who is more than sufficient in all of his ways. In so many ways, like he did for Gideon, he takes Gideon's inadequacy and he stacks up his adequacy against it. And I believe that this is what God wants to do for you today. He wants to shift your mindset because all of the inadequacies that you bring to him and you constantly come up with the excuses, right? God is saying, I meet you in that. I'm actually going to up you. It's like he's sitting at a table like playing poker or something and you're like, but I'm this. I'm a failure. I've, God, you've seen my upbringing. I can't do this. I sin all the time. I'm imperfect. And you keep pushing chips on the table and you keep pushing chips and God is like, I'm all in. You are perfect in my eyes. I love you. I am for you, not against you. I am with you. I'm going to walk through these fires with you. You could get a little excited because that's what God speaks about you. I don't know about you. That makes me feel good. God is for you. God stacks his adequacy, which is far more than you could imagine, against your inadequacies. Your inadequacies don't even carry weight against what God brings to the table. What God speaks over you and that, do you realize God rejoices over you with singing? He's not just saying, I, I rejoice over a select few. I rejoice over you. You are my children. I rejoice over you with singing. 
I love you. I'm there for you. As he tells Gideon, I am with you. He actually concludes the second conversation with that by telling Gideon, again, I'm with you. Second time, I am with you. I feel like that's God, again, wanting to remind us, I am with you. And we're like, no, you're not, God. No, you're not. You might have been before, but this time you're not because, like, it's crazy. No, I am with you. And God is a reassuring God. He wants us to know that he is with us. That's where God made it personal. We're not talking about Israel anymore, Gideon. We're talking about you and I. You just mentioned everything that they're going through and what they went through, but no, no, no. This is about you and I, my child. I am with you. I am with you. And throughout the story, if you continue to read on, you will see that God used him to defeat the Midianites. And it's a miraculous story. It's like over 130,000 Midianite soldiers. Like I said, Gideon had 30,000, but God didn't use the 30,000. He kept cutting them. He's like, nope, too many. Nope, too many. Gideon defeats these over 130,000 soldiers with 300 men. Little did he realize that he was part of this redemption story for Israel at that moment. Church, I wonder if you realize that you are part of God's redemption story. You are part of his redemption story for the nations, for our cities, for our neighborhoods, our families, for the world. We're part of his redemption story. He goes from being the weakest in a wine press to a mighty warrior. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians real quick. Y'all good? You still with me? Everyone's good? Heavy? Yeah? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. Love what Paul says here. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It's as if God is saying, like, I want people to know that I'm inside of you. It's okay, you're this clay pot with cracks in it, but I'm shining through. You're my light to the nations. I get to use you. I get to shine through you. Church, do you realize that that is, that's what God's talking about. That's what Paul says here is that this is you. You are these clay pots, cracked and frail and broken, but God is shining through you so others could see the love of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And he says, and that's what we are. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Where you sit, regardless of what life looks like right now, you are a child of God. God is there for you. He is with you. You are a child of God. I could continue to go on and say this just like a broken record the rest of the time because I really believe some of us need to get this in our spirit today that you are a child of God. You're not an orphan in the house of God. You are part of a family. You are his child. He looks upon you with eyes of adoration, not eyes of disgust, not maybe some of you might have grown up in churches and been told differently. He wouldn't have sent Jesus on that cross if he didn't love you. 
He looks upon you with eyes of adoration and compassion, wanting to embrace and live a life with his child. You are his child. I'm going to finish up here, but I want to invite the worship team on up. We battle identity all the time, but if we can get back to this foundational piece that we are his child, and we look at all things through this lens that God is a loving father, and that we are his child, it's going to be a game changer. But I want to read something that David wrote in Psalm 139. I want to read this to you because I want you to be inspired with how intimately God knows you and how much he loves you and adores you. This is Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never go away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. If I count them, they outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. That's the God that we're singing to today. That's the God that we're praying to. There's nothing you can do to get out of his grasp. We just don't even acknowledge that he's around but he's right there. So in the remainder of our time, we're going to sing together, and we're going to create space to pray as well, because there has been a lot going on. But let's start as a family. Would you stand with me?